What have been some of the revolutionary changes that you've experienced in your lifetime? Even if that's a short life, maybe you're in elementary school, I want your parents in just a moment to help you think about some of the revolutionary changes you've experienced. What, what technology, what ways of relating to one another, what things have happened in society or maybe in your school that have changed the whole way you live life? Obviously, if you've lived longer, it'll be easier to come up with a lengthier list. But what are some of the revolutionary changes you've experienced? Here, I'll give you one in my lifetime. It's the phone. I grew up in a home with a uh, landline phone. We had rotary phone and then a push button phone. And, and then we graduated to cordless phones. Well, well, phones in your home, that was a revolutionary change. Some of you can remember, just a handful of you watching, remember not having a phone. And then you can remember having a party line installed. And then you can remember having that landline. It changed everything. To be able to speak with people over great distances, that was revolutionary. Now, now over time, the, the landline phone went through a series of upgrades, rotary, push button, cordless. But, but those were upgrades. They weren't revolutionary. And then we got the mobile phone. Now you could talk on the phone wherever you were. You didn't worry about pulling over to, to talk at a gas station and having a quarter or a dime to put into the pay phone. You didn't have to worry about remembering that number 1010 what? Like some of you, you have no idea what that is, but some of you know they're like little code numbers you could put in to make a long distance call. The mobile phone changed all of that. Now, within the mobile phone market, we've seen upgrades. We had bag phones, and then devices slowly got smaller and smaller and smaller, even to where they were about as flat as a pancake. Revolutionary changes, no. Upgrades, yes. But the mobile phone, that was revolutionary. And then the mobile phone gave way to the smart phone, the smart mobile phone. And again, it was revolutionary. Now, not only do we have a device where we could call and text and maybe take a brief picture or play a game of, of Tetris on, but now we had many computers in our hands, Blackberry and Android and iPhone, revolutionary changes. They changed the whole way we experience life. What would have been some of those changes for you? Go ahead and take a moment and talk about this if you're with other people, reflect upon it if you're not. What have been some of the revolutionary changes in your lifetime? And, and think about what's been good about those and what's been challenging. If you're with a younger audience, you may have to help them see some of the revolutionary changes that have taken place in their lifetime. And if you have time, talk about the pandemic because it's resulted in what probably could be classified as revolutionary changes. It's resulted in a whole new way of living, at least in the short term, and, and will likely affect us for years to come. And again, what are the good uh, things that have happened in the pandemic and what are the challenges? Go ahead and talk about those now. Now that you've had a chance to, to think about those revolutionary changes, I want you to be thinking about the idea of, of revolutionary, something that changes the whole way we think, the whole way we interact, the whole way we live. If you're just joining us at Lebanon Christian Church online, uh, then, then, then this, this is something you need to understand. We've been walking through Luke's gospel. Luke's account of the great news and the great events that came in Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, Luke wrote his gospel to um, help us have certainty about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And, 
And we have seen Jesus. He is a revolutionary figure. I'm not talking about, again, a violent revolution. Someone who's changing the whole way people think about God, our relationship with God, their, their experience of human life. I mean, he has healed. He has raised people from the dead. It is revolutionary. But up until this point, all we've really seen is the, the, the way people can just get a glimpse of that life. Uh, maybe just, just, a, just, a, just a taste, just a crumb. Uh, maybe just, just a touch, just a little bit. But when we dive into Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 49 today, you're, you're going to see that this revolutionary life that, that Jesus is living, we have the opportunity to experience it in all its fullness. Not just a taste, not just a touch, uh, and not just a glimpse, but to really experience the fullness of that life. The, the passage today uh, Luke 6, uh, 12 through 49 is, is significant. And that's not to say other passages in Luke aren't, but within this passage today, Jesus calls uh, 12 men uh, to have a special relationship with him. We often call them the 12 disciples. Luke refers to them as the apostles here as he reflects on their significance. They weren't the only disciples that Jesus had. We'll see that in just a moment. But he entered into a special relationship with them and entrusted special responsibilities to them in this season. We're going to see some of the key fundamentals of Jesus' kingdom. What does it mean to be a disciple? What's at the heart of God's kingdom? We'll look at parts of what's been called the Sermon on the Plain, which may be the same as the Sermon on the Mount or a similar sermon Jesus taught, but significant nonetheless. But along the way, here's the question I hope that will help you answer. What is the DNA of a disciple of Jesus? Well, what's the DNA of a disciple of Jesus? You know, our DNA determines so much, right? It determines how we look, uh, maybe if we experience hair loss, it can determine uh, abilities, it can uh, inform tendencies, it can even inform some, some, some health risks. Our DNA shapes us into who we are physically, mentally, sometimes even emotionally. So what are those things that, that shape a disciple of Jesus? What's the, what's the DNA of a disciple? Now, we weren't going to go exhaustive and see all the DNA, all the encoding, everything that makes a disciple of Jesus, but we're going to look at the fundamentals of the DNA of a disciple of Jesus today. And here's the, here's the first one I hope you'll, you'll get, is that a, a disciple of Jesus is invited to learn from Jesus. When you look at the DNA of a disciple, a disciple of Jesus is invited to learn from Jesus. At this point in Jesus' life, we know that there were a number of people that were, were gathering around him. The word crowds shows up again and again and again. And in fact, I want you to see exactly what happens here. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. It says, And he came down with them and stood on a level place, with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. 
people are captivated by Jesus. But as we read this, we see that there are really two types of people in this crowd. There are disciples. There's a great crowd of his disciples. And then there's a multitude of others. In this crowd, we have disciples and we have those who are, are simply interested at this moment, who are, who are curious at this moment. He, Jesus is, is, is a man of intrigue. So disciples and those that are interested. And among the disciples, we know that there are these 12 that he invited into a, a closer relationship. That, that's what precedes this passage in verses 12 through 16. Jesus stays up all night praying, God, help me. Help me know who are these that I'm going to invest in above all uh, as, as my disciples. And so from among the multitude of disciples, he chooses these 12. So we have disciples and we have those that are interested. Well, what is a disciple? Oh, what is a disciple of Jesus? That, that'd be a great question for you to reflect on. How would you describe, how would you define a disciple? In fact, I want to give you a few moments right now to pause and to just give your own description, your own definition of what a disciple of Jesus is. So what would you come up with? What, what is a disciple? Maybe this will help. The, the Greek word that we translate to disciple is the word methetis. It means a follower, a, a learner, an apprentice. It has this idea of someone who has a close attachment with someone to, to the point that they will become like that person. It shapes the whole of their life. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who, who's invited to learn from Jesus. That's the DNA. They, they learn from Jesus. They're, they're invited to come in. Uh, watch them, listen to them, and then shape their life after them. And so in, in this group, we have these 12, and we have a whole group of others who have said, I'm committed to you, Jesus. I want you to shape my life. I want, I want my life to look like yours. So a disciple of Jesus is invited to learn from Jesus. Here, here's what you and I need to understand. This is beautiful. In the Middle East, there were a number of rabbis. In other religions, there were people who had disciples, people who would come and learn from them and try to be like them. For most rabbis, for those in other religions, uh, the invitation to be a disciple was, was, was pretty limited. It, it, was, it was something that, that not everyone had access to. But we see something different with Jesus. Jesus invites anyone who's willing to follow him, who's willing to learn from him, who's willing to believe in him, even when it means sacrifice. And, and he'll make them a disciple. There's an open invitation. Now, did Jesus invest in these 12 above the others? Yes. But he had many disciples. He invited people to come and to learn and to, to shape their whole life after him. That's what a disciple of Jesus is. At the core, their DNA, it's someone who's invited to learn from Jesus. And you and I are invited to learn from Jesus. As we think about what follows, I want that question to be in the back of your head a little bit. Are you someone who's a disciple of Jesus? You're committed to Jesus? Or are you interested? Because I know that if you're watching this, you probably fit into one of those two categories. You're someone who's committed to him. You want to be like him. Or because of circumstances in life, difficulties you're facing, 
Uh, you're interested. You're intrigued. You want to know more. You're a disciple. Are you interested? Because a disciple of Jesus is invited to learn from Jesus. So what does that disciple learn, though? If we're going to learn from Jesus, what are, we, what, are we, what are we learning to do? How are we learning to live? And that's what follows in the next several verses. Jesus kind of gives the heart of what God's kingdom is all about. Some have called the Sermon on the Plain or the Sermon on the Mount Jesus' kingdom manifesto. It's at the heart. Of, it's not everything. It's not every detail about Jesus and about God and about his kingdom, but it's the heart of that kingdom, the heart of what it means to be a disciple. And that's where we see another bit of the DNA of a disciple. Not only does he learn or she learn, uh, is invited to learn from Jesus, but the disciple of Jesus leans on God. Jesus begins uh, this message to those that are listening with something we typically call the Beatitudes. It means these blessings. Luke actually doesn't record as many Beatitudes as Matthew. Luke shares with us uh, these blessings that Jesus states, but then he follows up with some woes. There's this comparison and contrast that's happening between a disciple and, and, and one who's choosing not to follow Jesus. He may even have the Pharisees in mind. So, so what does he say? Look at Luke uh, chapter 6, verse 20. He speaks of this idea of desperation and dependence. Here's what he says. It says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, he's talking to those who have committed to him, those who have said, I want to be like you. He says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. That's peculiar, right? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. It's this idea of being desperate and dependent. See, often we think of poverty and we, 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 we put it in a category that that's only, only is about socioeconomic concerns. So someone can't buy something. Someone has food insecurity. Uh, someone can't make their bills. They're, they're poor. It's socioeconomic. But in Jesus' culture, really in the Middle East, Poverty has not only to do with what you possess or your lack, but, but the response it affects in you. So even going into the Old Testament, when, when God would praise poverty, this idea of we understand what we lack and that pushes us to this place of dependence upon God. So when Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, he's saying, uh, Blessed are you. It's good to be in a position where you have to lean on God, where you are desperate and dependent upon God. It's understanding that apart from God, we have nothing. We are nothing. And what follows this description of the poor in the kingdom, Jesus outlines what that poverty looks like. He says, some of you are hungry and you're going to be satisfied. Some of you are weeping and you're going to laugh. Some of you are persecuted and, and you're going to find joy. Remember, people have persecuted the prophets. So, so he shares that, that, that the heart of being a disciple is this leaning on God. We're desperate. We're dependent. And there's a series of reversals here. When life is hard here because we're desperate and we're dependent upon God, he, he has a way of changing that. And sometimes he changes it in our lifetime, but we know for sure when all things are made new that, that, that there will be restoration. There's this great reversal. So the DNA of a disciple is not only are they invited to learn 
from Jesus, but they're people who lean on God. They're desperate and they're dependent. There are those, though, that, that, that don't want to lean on God. And so Jesus says, woe to you. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who think that you have everything that you need for life. And he describes them. See, a disciple of Jesus is desperate and dependent rather than being independent and self-indulgent. Can, can you see some of the friction that happens in our culture? Why there's some friction and tension even in your own life related to following Jesus? Because Jesus calls us to desperation and, and being dependent upon him. And, and those aren't American ideals. We, 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 we want to be independent people. We want to buy what we want and reward ourselves with what we want. But Jesus says, no, a DNA of a disciple is that you're desperate and you're dependent. You depend upon me rather than being independent and self-indulgent. It's a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus allows his or, or her poverty to push them toward the God that loves them and has orchestrated the greatest reversal in history. This applies to you whether you're socioeconomically poor, which some of you are, uh, some of you that's been brought on by the pandemic, but it applies to all of us. Are we desperate and dependent upon God? A disciple of Jesus is. I think of our circumstances surrounding COVID-19. And really, even if we're not experiencing socioeconomic poverty, which I'm not, and, and many of you watching aren't, but some of you are, we all have experienced some sort of poverty. Maybe it's the poverty of human connection and interaction and relationship. Maybe it's a poverty of not being able to see our grandchildren. Maybe it's a, a poverty of, of experiences. Some of you are looking forward to proms and graduations. Some of you have had to postpone weddings. Uh, some of you haven't been able to, 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 to surround your loved ones as they, they die. There's, there's a poverty. And what, what Jesus says is, if you're a disciple of mine, if you're learning from me, if you're looking at me, then you're blessed when you're poor because that allows you, it should push you to the God who made you. And as you're desperate and dependent and you lean upon him, you know, he can orchestrate that great reversal. Even if you don't see it in your lifetime, you know it's going to be a reverse of all things when he returns again. See, the DNA of a disciple, not only are they invited to learn from Jesus, but a disciple of Jesus leans on God. But there's even more to this DNA of a disciple. Uh, a disciple loves radically. Jesus uses this sermon to introduce like his core kingdom ethic. There's a whole new way to love other people and treat other people. In Jesus' day, it was common for uh, people just to love those who loved them back. It was this reciprocal love. He even talks about it in this message. You know, for most of us, now certainly there are um, criminals and there are people who hurt others, but for the most part, human beings will gladly love those who love them back. If you're your spouse is treating you well, then, then you'll treat them well, right? If, if your children are obeying, then you'll love them well. Just, just because they're your children, you might show them love and affection you wouldn't show to someone else. That's a reciprocal love. That's the way uh, human beings just, just work. But Jesus says, no, the DNA of a disciple is different. As you learn from me, as you are desperate and dependent upon me, I will foster in you a love that is radical. It's not a reciprocal love, but it's a sacrificial love. And look at the example he gives for what that love looks like. 
It's a love for our enemies. Verse 27, he says, But I say to you who hear, you who are listening, you, you who are wanting to obey and are committed to me, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. What does that mean? He, he tells us, do good to those that hate you. Like, act in a good way, in a benevolent way to those who hate you, those who are opposed to you, uh, those who, who, who you are at odds with. And don't just act in a good way to them. Actually show them favor. He says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Jesus says, love your enemies. Jesus is saying, this is radical love. It's about sacrifice, not reciprocity. One of the key characteristics of a disciple of Jesus, one of the the key things encoded in our DNA is that we are to reflect the radical and revolutionary love that Jesus has for us, that God has shown to us through Jesus, that we should show that to others. And one of the greatest examples is that we should be radically loving those who are opposed to us, those who mistreat us, those who we are at odds with. That's one of the greatest ways that disciples of Jesus can stand out is in how our love is radical. Does that love characterize your life? Well, we know that this is one of the chief characteristics that's, that's fostered in a disciple, it should be fostered in a disciple of Jesus. In America, it's one of the hardest things to find in people that profess to be a disciple or to be a Christian. We, we're really good at reciprocal love. But what happens when we disagree with that person or that person disagrees with us? What happens when it feels like that person is opposed? What happens when that person mistreats us? What happens when that person harms us? What do we do then? Well, a lot of us will we'll gossip about it. We'll, we'll, we'll ignore them. We'll give them the cold shoulder. But that's not the way of a disciple. The disciple of Jesus loves their enemies. They do good on their behalf. They even show them favor. They bless them. They, they go beyond that. They, they pray for them. Something happens in our hearts when we pray for our enemies. They soften. And it's this ethic of, of radical and revolutionary love that, that leads to the next section on judgment. Because if we are people who are loving in a radical way, we're not, we're not trying to tear people down and to be critical of them. We're, we're going to be characterized by mercy rather than this, this hard way of, 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 of being towards people. Yet how often are, are we critical people? This is hard for us in America. We're a democracy. We have rights. We have opinions. We should voice our opinion. We should get it our way. That's not the way of Jesus. Is your life characterized by more criticism, more second-guessing, more challenging of authority than it is by loving people radically? See, the core of the DNA of disciples is only being invited to learn from Jesus and being desperate for him, leaning on God, but, but it's loving people radically. Are you loving people radically? This pandemic has unearthed 
our, 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 our cravings for good human interaction. When, when, we, when we start reopening in the coming weeks and months, we be people who love radically. Here's something I want you to think about. Where do you struggle to show and extend radical love? Think about it. Maybe talk about it if you're willing to be vulnerable. And what is one thing you can do today to extend that radical love to someone else? See, here's the DNA of a disciple. A disciple learns from Jesus, right? We're invited to this revolutionary life to learn from him. It'll change our whole way of living. We'll be people who are desperate and dependent upon God. We will lean on God. And we'll be people who are characterized by radical love. See, as Jesus calls these 12 men apart, he's praying all night and he goes, guys, this is what I want for you. I want these for all my disciples, but for you, I want you to learn how to be dependent upon God and how to love people radically. And if you do this, you will build your house on a rock. See, he closes this with three parables, one about the blind leading the blind, one about trees bearing fruit, and one about building a house. And he says that the one who hears the words of his, who, who, who choose to love radically, who choose to be dependent upon him, who learn from him, are like people who build their house on a rock. The storms of life come. The house stands firm. But if we ignore these things, like one who builds their house upon sand, and when the storms come, there's erosion, and, and, and our lives collapse... So will you be a disciple of Jesus? Will you allow him to use the DNA that he encodes in you through his spirit to to look to him, to learn from him, to lean on God, and to love people radically? If you're a disciple of Jesus, follow him. If you're just one of the interested in the crowd, then I'd encourage you to see all that Jesus is and what he stands for. If you want to talk more about being a disciple of Jesus, I'd encourage you to do two things. One, if you know another follower of Jesus, if you know a disciple of Jesus, a Christian, then, then I'd go talk with them and share with them. You're curious about being a disciple. And if they need help, they'll enlist someone to help them. If you don't have that person, then I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.lebanonchristian.org, and, and, and look for our staff and send one of us an email. Send one of us an email. And let's start a dialogue about how you, can become, how you can become a disciple of Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for the chance to share your truth with your people. God, may we be men and women, young and old, who learn to follow after you, who our whole lives are changed because of who you are and what you've done. God, change us. Help us to experience the fullness of your life. Amen. Go in peace.